good, good Friday service, as Denise was saying, it, it is, it, it, it's different. When we do Good Friday services, they're typically just, they're different. And this one, hopefully, will be, uh, go along with that whole different theme. It, it will be different than anything that we've probably done with you before. And every Good Friday, we try and do something like this. I don't know how, I, how we're going to top ourselves like next year, but we're just working on it. So kind of dress, you know, jeans, t-shirt, because you might get yourself dirty. You're not going to be like digging holes or anything. It'll be good. Someone was asking me, what are you going to do? And I go, I can't tell you. Then I have to kill you. Uh, if you are getting baptized on May 2nd and you signed up, you should have gotten an email from me this week. If you didn't, come and talk to me so I can find out why you didn't get that this morning. Again, there are Bibles in the back. If you forgot one or don't own one, you can have one. There are sermon notes on all the communion tables around the room. You can grab one of those. And then lastly, before we get going, because i got a lot to talk about today, uh, our guys team won their softball game Friday night. They, yeah. We got to have somebody around here that wins because our co-ed teams are not doing the job. We are seriously, we are getting worked right now. We, I don't know. We start off so good. We're, we're winning like each game like enough to nothing, and then we just tank. We just tank. We're just terrible. I don't know what to deal with. Why don't you guys stand there reading to God's word? This is Isaiah sixty verse one, and it says, "Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you." Let's pray. Father, this morning, we as a people ask that you as our God would teach us that our hearts would be receptive and open to the things that you have to say to us, even when those things are very hard for us to hear. Uh, We ask that we would become more your children daily to reflect better our Father who loves us. Amen. Have a seat. Uh, The last three weeks, uh, this being the third week of those, are going to be tough weeks altogether for us. Every week so far, I've had people come up after we were done and they say, Wow, that's, that's kind of hard to hear, and, but I really needed to hear it. I doubt if any of you will say that to me today after we are done. Nothing what I say is personal. Uh, these messages I, I actually wrote probably about five months ago. Uh, and so it's not like I thought of any of you in this room when I wrote them. Uh, last week after we talked about bitterness, I had somebody go, You wrote that about me. And I go, Sounds like you're bitter. No, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't do that. Uh, If you feel like some of this is is directed towards you, take it to God, uh, not to me. Uh, Nothing I say today is political at all. I do not believe in preaching politics. I believe in preaching Jesus. Uh, But I will give you truth as as the Bible says it, uh, even if you don't like it. Uh, Today, if I have never offended you before, I just may well do that this morning. It's never my intent to to do that, but sometimes it just happens that way. Uh, Again, I will be as honest with you as possible. And if you are somebody who I've ever offended because you've had kids in the room and I said certain things, uh, you may not want your kids to be in the room this morning. I'm not going to say anything different than I've already said. You're like, wow, this might be interesting. Yeah. <laughs> but just letting you know. Got uh, lots to cover. We're going to jump in. I, I am going to hit you guys this morning. God's kind of hit me with all of this. We're going to go to Ephesians 2, Ephesians 4, and then our text in Ephesians 5. So I'm going to like jab, jab, hook. I watched UFC last night, so... <laughs> Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. The first thing to be a Christian is that we receive relationship with Jesus. 
Uh, what this means is that Jesus, our God, dies for our sin, conquers our enemies of Satan, sin, and death. He gives us a relationship with Him so that we can then have a relationship with Him and other people. This is a free gift. We cannot brag or boast about what He has done because we brag about Him, but we don't get to brag about ourselves because He has done it all in and through us. It is a free gift from God. We receive it by faith, trusting in Jesus. The Christian life then gets summed up in verse 10 of chapter 2. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which god prepared in advance for us to do this means our life belongs to jesus and how we live that life is supposed to be connected to who he is we are to live a life of good works not that works save us but when we are saved he changes our hearts and steers us towards good works so why do we fail to live these lives of good works how come our money doesn't reflect this and maybe our marriages and our friendships fall apart and don't reflect this life in christ Paul talks about that in Ephesians chapter 4, how to get rid of what encumbers us, this sin, and then be able to live the life that God intends for us. In Ephesians 4.22, he says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your mind, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. If sin is causing bad works in your life, you put that off, and then you can do good works by putting on Christ. For this means, for you and I, what this means is that a lot of our thinking ends up being wrong. When our thinking is wrong, we live lives that live that out. Many times, you know, we're okay with a lot of stuff that God says in the Bible unless it disagrees with us. If it disagrees with us, then we're like, oh, God must be wrong. That's crazy. It's not interpreted correctly. Something happened somewhere along the way, and what I think is right, not what God thinks. This is cause and effect. When you think wrong about Christ, it will filter into how you then live your life. So you put off all this bad thinking, and you put on truth. You put off your old way of life, and you put on the new way of life. So go to Ephesians chapter 5. Today we'll look at that in relation to specific sins because Paul brings us all together. He talks about specific things. God intends good works for his people. Our sin encumbers those good works. We're going to read the whole section, then we'll talk about it. Ephesians 5, 3 through 14 says, But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient, therefore do not be partners with them. Verse 8, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them, for it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do and seek. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. That, this is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. There's a lot in there. Some of it's pretty brutal. But what sins does Paul list that we should put off to live the life that God intends? And this is where we start talking about these. This is where I just might offend you. The first thing he talks about is sexual immorality. Our sexuality. We think we are in an advanced society, Right? Yeah, we do. Wrong. Wrong. The same things that we struggle with are the same garbage and stuff that people in Paul's day got bogged down with. He says, not a hint of sexual immorality. We're okay with God, but seriously, our sexuality is like off limits. I, I know what I want. What I want is right. God, don't go towards my sexuality. You know, people many times ask, where's the line? How far can I go? Paul says the line, not even a hint. That's farther back than we'd like to admit. We're like, where's the line? And it's like, 
it's, it's way back here. A lot of people ask, you know, where's the line? Where can I go so that we can get as close to it without touching it? God's intention is never that you get as close to sin as possible without touching it. It is that we would live in freedom. There, there isn't sexual relationships apart from marriage, period. Nothing. Then marriage and complete freedom. That's what he says. Anyone who, again, asks where the line is, they want to know how close they can get, how they can act like they're married while not actually being married. Where's the line? Way back there. Way back there. A hint. Sexual immorality is a word that covers all kinds of sexual sins. It's a general word. There are places in Scripture where he, he uses specific words for specific, specific things. This covers everything. Why? Because we are so messed up that we would look at this if we got a complete list. We'd create a whole new category so we could say, oh, it doesn't cover this one. And so he just throws a general word out there. Uh, the, the word is like a sexual junk drawer. It is lust, pornography, strip clubs, websites, movies, fornication, sex before marriage, it is adultery, sex outside of marriage, it is homosexuality, it is romance novels. Now, I, I don't get romance novels personally, uh, but it includes it. There are millions of dollars spent every year on pornography that doesn't even have pictures. I, I, I don't understand that, you know. Men, men don't do that. Men are, looking, men are looking for pictures. You know, if the point is lust, we're looking for photos. Romance novel, like 60 pages of like seduction, and then it's the act. You know, men don't do that. Uh, all of it is sexual immorality. All of it. All of it. Rape, incest, any form of sexual sin, everything. And I've got to stress this, because, or you will walk out of here thinking, well, he didn't talk about mine. He didn't talk about... Elfhelga.com, where large Swedish women dress up as elves and shoot each other with arrows in their underwear. Oh, he didn't talk about AsianThumbWrestling.com. I don't know if those are real or not, okay? I, I'm just saying. But it's everything. It's, it all, whatever your thing is, it counts. It counts. You don't do it. When our sexuality becomes confused, you separate it from your life in God. And then you're not connected in that way. J.I. Packer says that originally there are all kinds of things that Satan would use to like tempt guys. Today he just uses one, lust. Lust. The issue among Christian men today is our sexuality. And Arda, you can remain anonymous and do whatever you want, looking at all kinds of stuff, and you can hide. Way back when, you imagine this. People to get pornography actually had to get out of their car, go in a store, and buy it. That, I mean, that's, oh, oh my goodness. Today it's a click, a, a click away. Billions of dollars a year. Paul says your sexuality belongs to God. The Bible is not down on sex at all. It is, it is totally pro-sex. It's wonderful. Next year we're going to hit the Song of Solomon. It is very fun. We'll laugh a lot. God is very frank, but he is never crass. Pro-intimacy, pro-enjoyment. The man and the woman naked, no shame. You know sexuality is wrong when it's accompanied by shame. It is all under the jurisdiction of God. And we are so jacked up today that we take words that are supposed to be good and twist them to mean other things. Movies committed to indecency, we call them mature, for mature audiences only. Like a bunch of guys watching naked women have sex is the apex of maturity. Oh, they're so mature. You can go to a gentleman's club today, get a beer, chicken wings, and watch naked women dance. It's like the false trinity right there at, at the strip club. Oh, gentlemen, they must be in there, you know, playing chess and arguing philosophy and discussing the implications of Mein Kampf. No. As if all the guys going to dinner with their wives and their children are cavemen and the mature gentlemen are in there getting a lap dance. 
No. So, you know, oh, that's so mature. No, that's a boy in a man's body drinking a beer, eating a dead animal. That is not the apex of maturity. The world we live in is confused. Is why he says not even a hint. The cohabitation rate today is skyrocketing. Everyone thinks it's okay, despite the fact that study after study after study show that divorce rate goes up exponentially for people who live together before they get married. I've had people say, oh, we need to know if we're, we're compatible. Either married or you're not. You don't practice at it. He says not a hint. Why? It's improper for God's holy people. Holy means different. Different. God's people are to be different. Our sexuality is to be different. Is your sexuality different than people around you who don't know God? Are the movies you watch, the websites you visit, different than those who don't know God? Second thing he talks about. So, bam, that's the first one. That's my jab. The second jab is impurity. The second one is impurity. Uh, impurity is something that is evil that makes you feel defiled. Uh, I don't know if you ever seen daytime talk TV and there's always someone that gets on the mic and goes, that's so nasty. Well, that, that's what impurity is. It's, it's nasty. The concept of this is the Old Testament concept of sin, defilement, certain things that have been done to you or that you have done to other people that make you feel dirty. Anything that brings shame, shame upon you is not something you should be doing. This could be sexual. It could be addictions. It could be compulsions. I have met with girls who have been defiled, and then they start to throw themselves at any guy that comes along because they feel defiled already. Many get involved in drugs, they drink too much to get rid of this feeling of shame. I've even heard one say that dirty people just do dirty things. I will tell you this, not in Christ, not in Christ. In 1 John 1, 9, it says, we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to do two things. He forgives us and he purifies us. He cleanses us. We are a new creation. Old things have passed away. New things are here. We have a new identity, and we are no longer defiled. We should no longer be involved in the polluting of ourselves and other people. We put it off. What makes you feel shame is not fit for a child of God. The next one he talks about is greed. It's like, oh my goodness, where are you? Greed. The desire to have more and more and more. Today, this, this isn't a vice. We think it's a virtue. You know, I used to get wakeboarding magazine. 150 pages of wakeboarding magazine, 145 of those, ads. Ads. You, you watch TV, a third of the television programs you watch are ads. It's, it's, it's all about greed. I mean, it's not a sin to have or to use money, but greed is. I have a new car. I need a brand new car. You know, my own six months old. I, I can't handle this. I have clothes. I need all new clothes. I have an LCD TV, but I need the new one that's got a thousand hertz refresh time and the .101 millisecond with the gazillion to one contrast ratio. I need that. You know, my entertainment center is not fit for a child of God. It is evil and impure. I need something new and better. It's greed. Why do they make something and six months later come out with something that's new and better of the same thing? Because we're greedy. And they know it. They know they can sell it to us. How many of you have jumped in your house and you don't even know why it's there? Yeah? Yeah, I do. How many of you have so much stuff you don't can't park your cars in the garage? Because you get... You park your, your $50 worth of crap in the garage and your $23,000 car out in the driveway. That's crazy. It's just crazy. You moved in your house three years ago. You still got stuff in boxes. What's in there? I don't know, but I can't live without it. <laughs> if people broke into our houses and they stole the right things, we would never even know. We would never know. I mean, it's greed. We, we, you, go to a, you go to like the mall. You go shopping at the mall. You get tired, you got a food court. A little run down, they got a coffee shop. So you keep going. It's, it's all... 
It's crazy to me. We're like crack addicts in the mall. It's terrible. Philippians 4, 12 and 13, Paul says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living uh, in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. It is not about how much you have. It's about how satisfied you are with what you have. You could have a beater car and a studio apartment and goodwill clothes and be, be totally, totally satisfied. You could have a palace and a Bentley and be completely unsatisfied. The book of Ecclesiastes says if you have a lot of stuff but you do not know God and spend time with Him, then you will never, ever be satisfied. Greed. Uh, it's, it's not a sin to have stuff or to have a Bentley. If you have a Bentley, I'd love to ride in it, okay? That's, I'd love for you to let me drive it. That'd really be awesome. But greed leads to coveting, and then coveting leads to debt. You get a credit card, and it gets full, and then what do you do? I'll just get another one. And then you put stuff on that. And then all of a sudden you find yourself hoping that all the left-behind books are true so you can get out of here and not have to pay your credit card bill. <laughs> Next one, obscenity. Obscenity. Sometimes, quite honestly, this I struggle with obscenity. Uh, it, sometimes I say some things that come out of my mouth. I'm like, oh, pull that back. I shouldn't have said that. Oh, my Oh my goodness, uh, we say things that should not be said to people we shouldn't be saying them to. And, we, and sometimes we say things and we justify it to ourselves. Oh, it's only in my car for people who don't know that turn signals are for turning. You know, <laughs> things like that. Cussing, yelling, screaming, sewage coming out of our heart through our mouths. Uh, you know, years ago, there's a movie called Gone with the Wind. Gone with the Wind comes out and there's this huge scandal about it because the guy says to the girl, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Right? And everybody's like, oh my goodness, he said the D word. And today we're like, is there a D word? What is the D word? <laughs> it's like, we think the D word's something else. It's not, it's not damn. There are some words that just should not be used. So are they words that lead to good works, or are they words that maybe we shouldn't be using at all? The next thing he talks about is foolish talk. This is dumb stuff that doesn't even matter. Guys can sit around talking about dumb stuff for days. Like what smells are worse than others and who smells worse than other people. I'm a truth teller. I'm just being honest with you. Uh, you, so you get done, you're like, was that a good use of three days? I, I don't know. I'm not saying fun doesn't have its place, but sometimes people get in these stupid fights like, you know, Ford versus Chevy, Star Trek versus Star Wars, less feeling tastes great, and my sports team is better than your sports team, and then you get in a big old fight enormous time with things that really in the end don't matter some of you ladies will, will talk to your friends on the phone you get done it's like what do we even talk about i don't know i think the devolution of humankind is is daytime talk tv i think it's just terrible stuff and people watch it because you feel bad about yourself then you watch that and you say well maybe i'm not so bad i you know i, I feel dumb but at least I didn't marry my mother i must be a genius <laughs> you know i don't eat things i find under the couch i must be like einstein i'm i'm great I, I listen to talk radio, and, and I like talk radio, but much of it is foolish talk. It does not mean that we cannot laugh or have conversation, but sometimes foolish talk goes to coarse joking. Coarse joking. Now, I've got to make a distinction here. Uh, this is not a little joke here and there. This is vulgar, foul, inappropriate stuff. This is like making fun of people, you know, guys referring to wom women and their body parts. Uh, some of you guys work jobs, and it's very hard to maintain because you are surrounded with coarse joking crude, crass, vulgar. When the scriptures talk about profanity, what it refers to is taking what is beautiful and what is private and pushing that out into the open. You make something that's supposed to be holy, you make it common. Like when a guy takes what is private with his wife and starts talking about it with all the guys around him, it becomes profane. It becomes profane. He's made it common instead of keeping it holy. That is coarse joking. 
young men today encourage each other to say deplorable things about women and treat them as objects. They ask, you know, oh, who'd you sleep with? Are they any good? And they ask these type of questions. And while men do this, many women will then still sleep with these guys because they're popular or they think they're going to get something out of them in return. Why does Paul talk about all of these things? Because times change, but people don't. Paul says these are out of place for God's people. And Paul says all of this is idolatry. Idolatry. Peter Kreef says that the opposite of Christianity is not atheism, it is idolatry. Everybody worships. Everybody. Our time, our money, our energy all goes somewhere. Is it to Jesus or is it to ourselves? The most likely place you will worship, if it's not Jesus, is yourself. We're like, I want glory. I want people to validate me and serve me and adore me. And we get frustrated with those people around us in the world who don't think the same way we do, but they actually labor under the same premise that we do, that they're God, when we all know that we're God, and they should all be serving us. People shouldn't do what they want. They should do what I want. You know, They should love what I love and hate what I hate and demand what I demand. And what about me? It's all idolatry. Most of the times you can probably look at your credit card statement and tell who your God is because it's where most of your money and time goes to. This is why two guys can work the same job at the same company in cubicles six feet apart and one can work hard, take care of his family, worship and love his God because he does it in worship to God. Another guy can work hard to make money, to buy a new car, to go to the strip club because he's worshiping his God himself. What motivates you? What motivates you? It isn't just what we do. It is why we do what we do. What drives you is the question we have to ask. Is it honoring Jesus or honoring yourself? Idolatry today prides itself as self-help, self-love, self-esteem. I'm not happy. I must not love myself enough. I will tell you, people that worship anything other than the living God will be frustrated because we are not sufficient gods. We are too small. You don't need to go more into you. You need to go into Christ. It is not that we love ourselves too little. It's that we, uh, no, it's not, we love ourselves too much and we love our God too little. And the point is never to hate yourself. The point is simply to learn how to love your God. Our self-worship is it leads to all of these issues, money that shouldn't be spent, jokes that shouldn't be told, sex that shouldn't be had, and a feeling of shame and defilement that is completely unnecessary for the children of God. And so Paul, what he does, he transitions through all of this from sins to motives for walking away from those sins. In verse 3, he says, These are improper for God's holy people. He says, It's not right. Jesus didn't come as a man and die for your sins and raise from the dead so you can cuss people out on the way to the strip club. So you can gossip about people while downloading porn from the internet while drinking too much. He says it is improper. People say, well, but, but I'm saved by grace. Yes, you are. But he saves us and changes us so we will be a people that are marked by good works, doing the right things. We are people many times who simply want Jesus to be a good boy and just do the right thing. God, you just go and do what you're told. But God's not very compliant because he doesn't exist to bring you glory. God, we exist to bring God glory. We exist to glorify him. And you will never be satisfied until you trust him and realize that it is only him that saves us from our sin. It is him saving us from our sin and death, but he's also saving us from ourselves. Because you, as a people, and I, as a person, we have no idea what we are doing. In verse 5, he says, No immoral, impure, greedy person, such man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Bottom line, and this is going to be tough to hear sometimes, but if you claim to be a Christian and you have no life change in your life, you are probably not a believer. You cannot meet Jesus and have nothing happen. You know, meeting Jesus doesn't make you perfect. 
But what it does, it begins to change our hearts and our attitudes and our mindset. The things you used to love, you begin to hate. You are bothered by certain sins in your life. There's a change in your thinking and your identity. For those with no change at all, he says, they don't have any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. No place in God's presence. Scripture, scripture is clear. It's not that we do good works to get into God's kingdom. We don't do all these good things for God to love us and, and bring us in. It is God's grace that loves us. God's grace that changes us. But our changed life then becomes evidence that we have truly actually met our God. John 14, 15, Jesus says, If you love me, you obey what I command. You can't say, I love God and do whatever you want. That is not how it works. Jesus' job is not to forgive you for all the crap that you keep doing. If you are doing things that God clearly says are wrong, you don't feel any remorse at all, you may not have any place in his kingdom. God will not have people who do not respect him in his house. Satan tried that. He got kicked out. We have repentance solely by grace. In verse 6, Paul says, Let no one deceive you. Because our world is full of deception. You can find someone somewhere who will explain the parts of the Bible that you don't like. So you will like them. You can find someone who tells you exactly what you want to hear. And guys, some messages like this are not the funnest things to give you. Okay, because sometimes I'd rather go through it. That's why we go through books of the Bible. God forces me to talk to you about certain things that many times I don't want to talk to you about. I'd rather be like, oh yeah, bunnies and fluffy and Easter's next week and it's the risen Lord. Isn't it so wonderful? And today I'm just like, I've got to beat the crap out of you all morning long because that's what Paul does. We've got to wake up and become the people he calls us to be. Let no one deceive you. Some of us, we will watch certain TV shows or certain radio programs or read certain magazines or books because we intentionally want to be deceived. We want to be told that what we want to do is okay. He says, let no one deceive you. One of the reasons I believe God's word is true is no one would make this up. Hell would be for like five people through the course of history that nobody liked. That would be hell. But no, the real God seems to care more about sin than the rest of us do. And he tells you, don't argue yourself out of your conviction. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Oh, that's a good case, good point. I'll go see with my boyfriend now. Okay, that's wonderful. He says, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Tough words. Those are tough words. Disobedience is an indicator that we don't love Jesus. Disobedience is an issue of the heart. It is not a moral issue. Hell will be full of moral people who don't love Jesus. See, I'm not conning you. I'm not trying to sell you, Jesus. I'm just being honest. There is a consequence for sin in our lives. And don't think hell is where you go to get tormented by Satan. Jesus rules in heaven. Jesus rules on the earth. And Jesus rules under the earth. Satan will be dealt with in hell. People who don't love Jesus and have their sins forgiven by Jesus will be dealt with in hell. There will be judgment and consequences. Galatians 6, 7 says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Hebrews 10, 31 says, It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Proverbs 1, 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. We don't get to play games with God. We don't screw with God. Yes, God is perfect in his love, but that love also flooded the earth, rained fire on Sodom and Gomorrah. New Testament people who lied to him died. You want to know how committed God is to his glory? You look at the cross and realize that Jesus came and Jesus died. The Father will allow the Son to die. God will kill himself. Don't think that your sin is no big deal. God is a God of justice, and either Jesus, who is eternal, pays for your sin, or you pay for it eternally. God's love is real. It's why he died for your sins. But God's justice is real. It is why he died for your sins. I mean, don't think that God doesn't have it in, in him to deal with you. He's not like a scared parent in the middle of the grocery store where the kids had acted up. And he's like, oh, I can't spank him in the store. God will haul you over his knee right in the middle of the aisle. He will. 
Not everyone has their sins forgiven. It does not go well for everyone. So how does this change? How do you get a life filled instead of you, but filled with Jesus? How do you enter a life of grace and good works? You give your life to Jesus first. And secondly, in verse 10, Paul says, you find out what pleases the Lord. Find out what pleases the Lord. You know, this, th- this, is, this is actually very simple. People go, what? what's God's will? God's will is simple. It's, it's, it's you honor Him with your life. You glorify Him in everything you do. So we love and we give and we serve those around us. I mean, right from wrong, very simple. It's like, uh, uh, my girlfriend and I love each other. We make out all the time. We take our clothes off. Okay, does that glorify the Lord? You know, does that, does that please God? If you go, well, well, yes, you know, when we're done, I look up to heaven and I say, you're welcome. It's all for you, Jesus. Oh, I'm drunk for you, Jesus. Oh, I'm cussing people out for you, Jesus. I have no pants on for you, Lord Jesus. You're welcome anytime. And why do we snicker and laugh? Because we know it's stupid. We know it's stupid. So how do you, because it's simple. So how do you please the Lord? One, ask, does this, does this make God happy? Does this make God happy? You can't pray for sin unless you're twisted. You can't be like, dear God, give me faster DSL so I can download porn faster. You know, it it just doesn't work. The second thing, does it coincide with Scripture? You should be reading your Bible and believe what it says. God made us. He knows what is best for us, so we simply follow what He says. It applies. Read your Bible. Number three, you get around other people who are pleasing to the Lord and imitate their life. People are not perfect. They all have things, and we all try to hide things from each other. But you get around people who are kind of doing it well. Uh, if, if you and your wife are, are arguing to the point where you just want, want to kill each other, find a couple that doesn't have any major scars and looks like they actually like each other and ask to hang out with them. If you're terrible with your money, you blow it away on everything. Find someone good with their money. Ask to hang out with them so you can pick their brain on what's going on. Satisfied people learn to walk away from their sin. You cannot run in two directions. You can't pursue your wife and some other girl. You can't pursue yourself and God. You can't pursue God and your sin. The goal of life, to be close to Jesus, the goal of life is not to win. It's to know Christ. In verse 4, he tells you that you need to live in thankfulness. This means that in all circumstances, we trust Him. What pleases God is trusting Him and being thankful to Him, being satisfied in Him. In verse 11, he says, Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. And what I think is amazing is that you look at this in Jesus' life. <clears throat> How did he do this? Jesus hung out with prostitutes, but he never whored himself out. Jesus hung out with drunkards, but he, but he never drank so much he couldn't drive his camel home. <laughs> Jesus hung out with, with gluttons, but he didn't wear his elastic waistband everywhere he went because he was going to fill it up when he, when he got there. People knew his love and his grace and his righteousness by being around him. They never felt condemned by being around him. They felt called to something greater. That is the call of a believer, somebody who calls himself a Christian. We are not those people that go out and hold signs and say, oh, you're terrible, you're going to rot in hell. We are people who other people should be able to get around and realize they are called to something greater, that you can have your sins forgiven, that you are called to something greater. You can become who God intends for you to be. We should be a people who inspire hope. Verse 12, he says, For it is shameful to even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. Darkness is equivalent to sin, and light is equated with forgiveness and salvation. Darkness is where we want to hide from our sin. We do things that are not good in the dark. It is why strip clubs don't have breakfast buffets, and all their windows are blacked out. You hide when you're in the dark. D.L. Moody actually said that character is what you do in the dark, when no one is looking. Light is when you live your life exposed to God and His people openly, nothing to hide. 
living as light. And Paul says, this is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. We must be a people that wake up. You find out what pleases the Lord. You come awake to who you're supposed to be. Some people screw up their entire lives because they're asleep. And Paul says, wake up. Wake up. Christ will shine on you. This is like morning time when you, when you wake up and all of a sudden, you know, the sunlight shines on your face and it's like, Sometimes you're like, oh, it's too early. But sometimes it's like, oh, it's, it's so nice. It shines in us. Truth, love, healing, grace. You wake up. It doesn't need to be the way that it's been. You don't need to be the way you have been. Grace can shine on you. Forgiveness, cleansing, the hope that comes through Christ. Today, I think in Scripture, my job is to make you feel really bad, to beat you up, and push you towards Jesus. Because we all need Jesus. I think all of this today, and I think, it, I think God works it out this way in Ephesians because we're pushing towards Good Friday, and Good Friday is where we deal with a lot of our sin and the grace and goodness of who God is. This, if you come to Good Friday service, this will actually lead directly into that for most of us. Um, we must be a people who ask ourselves the very, very hard questions, and after those questions, you must follow through with the honest answers that God provides. This morning, I invite you to come to communion. At communion, you take that cracker and you break it like Christ's body was broken for us because of our sin. And you dip that in the wine or the grape juice. It represents His blood that was shed for our sin. And we humble ourselves before our God and say, I want to live a life that glorifies you, and I no longer want to live in darkness. I want to, I want to live a life that pleases you, a life that lives in the light. We're going to worship God through song and the band's going to come up and as we do these songs uh i I know there's only there's only like three songs we're going to do after the message today and and none of them are like woo they're they're all like songs i want us to to think about uh and and i'm going to kind of leave you guys a little bit on a you know down note a tiny bit because this is something that that we as god's people coming in to you know the you know, this is like the triumphal entry day in history. You know, Jesus comes into Jerusalem. You know, it's like Palm Sunday. And this week we need to deal with a lot of this stuff. So we live lives that reflect our risen Lord who is so good to us. And many times we are not good in return. So take some time while the band sings. Ask God, you know, what are the things in my life that need to turn around? If you want to invite someone to uh, church, invite them next week. It'll be a lot of fun. <laughs> I'm not going to like be glad you're here and I'm going to beat you up this week. No, uh, Easter is going to be a lot of fun. We're going to talk about God's glory. It's going to be great, but we need to be people who reflect God's glory. Uh, there'll be some elders and deacons in the back, and if you need prayer, if some of this like hits you pretty hard and, and you need prayer, go pray with them. Uh, they can take you aside somewhere, and not everybody's going to know your business, uh, but you probably need somebody to pray for you. And worship God through giving. There's offering boxes on the side wall and in the back, and we give simply because God gave so much to us, and giving is part of our worship. And we're going to worship God through fellowship when we're done. I hope you guys have some people and some friends in your lives that can ask you some of these hard questions, that can sit down and say, you know, let's talk about this. You know, where, where are you not living in the light? And you can trust them enough to actually share, and they will share back with you. Because these are the things, as believers, we need to be helping each other to live towards. Lives that reflect the goodness and grace of our God, who loves us so much and takes our sin much more seriously than we do. Lives that honor our God. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I do ask that we, as your people, would get a glimpse of how bad we can be sometimes, but also a glimpse of how good that you are. 
God, that you would revive our hearts to be able to feel the times when we sin against you. When we be able to feel how far we are sometimes from you and what you call us to. But God, just like this week of, of Easter week, where you go in triumphal and you are murdered, but you rise. I ask that we'd be a people who, who wouldn't just so much focus on our sin that we forget the risen Lord that calls us to a life of joy and hope. I ask that you would teach us to be the people of you who when people look at us, they don't feel condemned. They feel hope that they are called to something greater because we believe and trust that we are called to something greater and that your life in us makes us who we are. We are no longer about our own business. We are about your business. Have us be a people reflecting your glory as our good God. Amen.